Mini episode 1249 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1249. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here, and we are talking about today the concept of sports in the bubble during the corona time period. It is part 23 of our coronavirus crisis 2020 coverage, and uh, for that we have FDH's NBA analyst Ben Chu with us here today. The NBA is the example that is in the news the most these days, I think, as far as sports in a bubble with what they're doing in Orlando. The NHL always gets a little bit less attention, of course, in the United States, but they're proceeding along similar lines. They just announced this week in Toronto and Edmonton. I believe that was announced on Canada Day, of all things. Of course, MLS is going to have their own bubble going in Orlando, but it's the NBA one that seems to be the biggest focus of people's attention. It's the one that is the most obvious example of what some of the protocols are going to be. So we're going to use that as a jumping point for our discussions. And of course, as I say, part 23 of our series about the coronavirus crisis. And uh, if we're talking jersey numbers, some might call him the number 23 of uh, analysts here in the FDH lounge. My good friend, Ben Chu. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Rick. My residuals are still, you know, in the truck somewhere. So we'll see what ends up happening with well, that's it, exactly, yes. And, uh, you know, notwithstanding... The check is coming, right? I think you're going to have to settle for me putting you over as the LeBron slash MJ of the lounge in lieu of that being the right. number 23. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is unlike any other year, and this is going to be unlike any other bubble time on the so. I didn't think we'd be talking much about bubbles in 2020, but hey... Well, uh, here we are, and I've already alerted all of our participants on the panel that we did for our 13th anniversary show uh, when we were making predictions in various areas for the 2020s. I've already started to let these guys know, and for the rest of you who filled out surveys for that, you'll be getting new surveys because I can already tell you what our 14th anniversary celebration is going to be in 2021. It's giving a mulligan to everybody for their 2020s predictions and looking at them beyond this. Yes, so there's literally nothing that we are looking at at the start of the year that could have been predicted as far as where we are now. And this has been, and it's something that still just really kind of baffles me uh, in terms of people who don't quite get it still at this point and, and who just think that there have oh, been some disruptions of a period of time and I'm just waiting for things to go back to normal. I mean, we are at the point, I think we're more than 100 days into this thing, but let's call it 100 days or so, right, roughly. I mean, the most transformative ones of our lifetime, whether you want to look at, again, the fact that the economy had never been shut down before, that you'd never had a, 
a country go from close to full employment to Depression-era employment, etc., 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 the most transformative hundred days of our lifetime, Ben Chu, and we don't know what the lasting results of this thing are going to be, but the world we know now, obviously, is so much different than it was at the beginning of March. We're going to have that to find out, and as far as, we'll take a second here to, to talk about the bubble itself, but before we do, I just want to get to, again, the pessimism that I had, or, or I said I thought that it might have been 50-50 on even getting this NBA restart going, where you corrected me on that, I think, deservedly so. What I was looking at, the same things that you are, as far as the outside world as far as Orlando. Uh, when we first started talking about it, nobody thought it was going to be this bad. It's a hot spot now. All of Florida is. Florida, Texas, and Arizona uh, are all really bad. And ironically, some or all of those had been talked about as bubble locations for baseball uh, when and if baseball decided to go with a bubble. So this is really, really a, a bad kind of a thing. And it's a thing where before we talk about the bubble itself, just the general notion of sports in this, I, I was, I'm struck that I was talking to FDH Lounge dignitary Chris Galloway yesterday who mentioned that he thinks we're getting to a point now of where essentially we are going to have to live alongside the disease for whatever period of time until such time as either there's a vaccine or really proven treatment options or whatever, and that that is made possible by the fact that the death rates have been drastically lowered, although again, we'll see how long that takes to go up if it does, because that's always been a lagging indicator. But the notion of sports existing in a world where we're just going to live with coronavirus until something happens to get it under control, that's the part where I make more of a, a leap in my own mind to like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how you say that sports exists alongside it, because there are so many more inherent risks with sports and with athletes infecting one another, how, how it fits into a world where we're just going to live with this as long as we have to. And, and I think the issue, too, is we're going to have to, like we've mentioned off air in prior conversations, uh, we don't know the true extent of how the virus will impact people into their future. We don't know the future conditions that people will start to have because of being infected by the coronavirus and other similar things. But I think Chris does hit the nail on the head at some point, seeing the initial path of the virus, the perception from a lot 
I think that is one of the greatest causes for fear as far as the disease goes, as opposed to dying from it. Again, uh, only a, a tiny number of those infected out, out of the, the millions, uh, I believe, by this point infected. Uh, I believe we're at the base number right now, unless I'm incorrect. I believe it's around, I believe it's 2.5 to 4%. I think that is the average death rate from the virus at this current stage in early July. Yeah. That sounds right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was up to 5%. It now, could be a little bit higher. I mean, again, as we point out, data can always change. And we've also seen cases in state two that were mishandled, or also in other situations where people have died not knowing they had the virus, and then they come out later that they did. So it, it, sure. it needs to, if you want big data experiment in a way, too, so it's going to be tough to determine the true number at the end of the day. Well, in talking to Chris, he felt like there has been an undercount in both, obviously, uh, registered cases of it, which we know that, as well as deaths. He, he thinks both have been uh, overcounted, but he thinks that the, the cases have been overcounted far more, or I'm sorry, undercounted far more than deaths. So t he believes we're looking at a less than 1% fatality rate. I don't believe that. I don't think that's a very a mainstream thing at the moment. He may be right, but he's sticking his neck out believing that. I think also, too, in this time where I don't, I agree with him, but I also don't disagree with that. The issue, too, is that we don't know the next, it's tough to tell with any sort of virus pandemic just going through, like the baseline of the Spanish flu and any of these previous ones of that. Viruses don't react the same. And for now, we are, this first we've always thought in America during the time of there's one wave and then a second wave later on. Right. It's very comfortable, and it's very similar to the ocean. It's pressing and going to keep going up. That's very, very true. And again, the lasting effects, that, that's the number one thing. And if I was an athlete, I'd be far more concerned about what this could do to my health and career long term than dying from it or, or being very sick for a period of time. But, so be that as it may. So all of this is sort of undergirding why I said to you, and just looking at the way things were going a week or so ago, I think it's only 50-50 that they get started. As I say, you corrected me, and I think correctly so on that. But the odds of the NBA at least getting started are far better than that. They're doing the initial testing now. This is still the period before people are being admitted to the bubble. But as far as the things that you pointed out to me, please focus on them here and you know lay all of that out as far as the testing protocol and everything they're going to be doing inside the bubble, because it does sound as airtight as you could possibly make it. Right, and I mean... I mean, very thinking honestly, it was even discussed by Anthony Fauci, who's been pretty much the base of the timeline in the United States, that the bubble per se seems to be the best plan. At least from just, just because I see there are pages upon pages to get into, but at least from my understanding, there'll be daily testing for everyone there. There's social distancing rules in place. 
Yeah. Essentially, Please. the relationship, and I'll, I'll just go out there because Ian Ramona Shelfer did a very great article on this terrain before all the machinations were officially determined in that. For those of people that don't know, Bob Iger was the CEO, was the CEO of Disney, who ultimately is currently sitting on the executive board of the company. He had a very good relationship with the current NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, who at the time in the early 90s was the head of NBA entertainment, he had to be very similar to the NFL films of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Iger at the timeline eventually ended up marrying Willow Bay, who was the co-host of the same TV show on the inside stuff with the mob for Shaw. Right. Another weird machination with that, too, is that Iger spent a lot of time with Disney's movie production team in L.A. and been working also with Pixar and Silicon Valley, and at that time, he became friendly with current NBA PA representative Chris Paul. So it's interesting to see that there's already both those things in place. And the kind of, I like to say, is the top it all became the cherry on the Sunday. Last year, Iger and Silver were together because the NBA opened in a, in a trash can and walked Disney World called the NBA Experience. And there was already grumbling at the timeline because Silver wanted to add the play-in tournament or the in-season tournament that Walt Disney World was going to be in consideration. So there was already a timeline where Iger and Silver were talking about a possible scenario of getting something like this together. So that's what I personally think was very fortuitous for the league to have such a great partnership already off the bat with multiple sides. Very much so. And one of the unique elements of this with Disney World that the NHL is not going to have with Toronto and with Edmonton is that, again, everything is all under one figurative roof. It's the same campus. It's all there. I don't know any of the details. I don't think they've come out yet about what the NHL is going to do in those cities, but what you're looking at essentially, I'm sure, is housing them in a series of hotels that you are basically going to be able to vouch for as far as the safety of them, get them to the rink. It'll be back and forth with the buses Everything there, I mean, I don't know if we would say it's within walking distance, theoretically, or a tram distance, if you want to call it that, whatever the mode is going to be. Being all on, on one campus is an advantage that uh, also the MLS will have, because they're going to be doing it at Disney, and I assume they're going to be following most of the same protocols. To my knowledge, there is one weakness in the system here, unless this is not the case anymore and I haven't heard about it, and that being... My understanding has been that most, if not all, of the employees who are going to be making this possible, whether it be on the hospitality and in the hotels, those at the gyms, etc., will be going at home to uh, every night in a community that is now massively infested with this virus. Uh, it, it seems to me, you know, as I start thinking about the, if you want to call it Alice with the Brady Bunch, option here. You know, she had her own living quarters, as I recall from that show. I mean, the, the the cost of putting these guys up for a couple of months, and yeah, it would be a sacrifice for them not to be with their families, but they would be safer. I, I just wonder about if you made the bubble more all-inclusive, if you would, in terms of who all's going to be in it. I wonder if it couldn't be safer still. And I mean, the discussion right now, and I've read this on multiple ends, that in terms of employees, they will be screened, they will be, they will be Thank you. 
have to deal with the virus at the end of the day, and you're going to have to put these people up as well. So I think that's very similar. And another point I do want to make, I do feel it's a bit dumber because I know the cases of where, uh, where Walt Disney World located, who we even said they care Yes. Yes. Definitely true. And uh, as you said, Orange County has been hit pretty good, but there are certainly other counties in Florida that have been hit worse. And as we indicated, that even if all of the employees who are going to be servicing this thing, making it possible, the behind-the-scenes heroes, if you will, making the bubble possible, a lot of them will actually be living outside the bubble, going home every night. Nevertheless, it being on one campus, it does sound like they're doing as much as they can humanly do. The NHL unable to replicate the experience, as we said, directly because there are not many places in the world like Walt Disney World uh, where this is possible. I suppose the only other ones would be maybe the other Disney places around the world. And something tells me they probably don't have as many hoops gyms at the ones in Shanghai or Paris or wherever as they do in Orlando. I'm just going to posit that as a thought. But as far as the NHL one, you know, Toronto and Edmonton, uh, in, in talking to another one of our FDH Lounge dignitaries, my good friend John Adams, we were talking about this, like Toronto, again, hmm, you're thinking, well, that's the most populous area of Canada, obviously, and uh, population slash spread in a general sense. We know more populous areas are more risky with such a highly contagious virus. You don't have that in Edmonton. Having said that, for the players that are in Edmonton, they may feel like they drew the short end of the straw taking the bus to, you know, far-flung arenas, perhaps, staying in a Motel 6. I mean, you don't have the choice of lodgings in Edmonton that you do in a world-class city like Toronto. No offense, Edmonton. But uh, this is, it, it's got its own set of challenges. Uh, and I, again, it's a thing where, and I don't mean this as any disrespect whatsoever to the NHL, because like I said, there's only one Disney, and the fact that Disney is already accommodating the NBA and uh, MSL, and again, I don't think Disney's overflowing with rinks either, so that wasn't really an option for the NHL. But it almost seems like anything else that any other sports league does in trying to replicate a bubble that is not on one campus is going to be sort of the poor man's version of it. Hopefully that, hopefully not too much worse 
than the, than the actual bubble in Orlando. an excellent point that the, the risk in Canada, while you're not all on one campus, is mitigated by the fact that the country itself is safer than the areas that we're talking about here in the United States as far as where the bubble's going to be. So that's an excellent point. I also think that even if the numbers were still low in Nevada, I still think Vegas would be a bad option, and, and here's why. Because you and I have talked throughout on this thing here, and again, I understand that I've gotten to be more dour about humanity than many of my friends who, who, who share my overall dourness, but perhaps aren't quite at the point that I am, which I think probably describes you. You talk about human nature throughout this and about how that has played a role in the spread after people are bound up all these months, they go out and do stuff. To me, it's people's lack of discipline. It's the fact that people don't seem to care enough about one another. It's the fact that humanity can't deal with the concept of being in a pandemic and behaving accordingly for the months that it takes to get through it. So believing that as I do, I think Vegas is a horrible option. Because Vegas, conversely to that, is one of my favorite places on earth, tied with Athens, Ohio, the alma mater, for my favorite place to visit. I love Vegas. It's been too long since I've been back there. And Ben, people don't fully understand, even to this day, they only think gambling. There's a whole range of stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff that is fun and wholesome. I've been to those places. I've been to places that, uh, as they would say on Trailer Park Boys, are very greasy. And I've been all places in between. I've experienced the gamut of Vegas almost pretty much from A to Z. If human nature is as we've been discussing, that is the worst place for athletes to be. Because I'm not saying you have to have the discipline of a Confucian monk throughout this thing, but you have to have enough discipline not to get yourself infected and those around you and potentially blow up the tournament. And I think that's, we'd be looking at a greater risk of athletes, even hockey players who are more disciplined than a lot of other athletes, a greater chance 
of them blowing this thing up by going to some of the things that make Vegas Vegas if they had the tournament there. Right. And I think the issue, too, is not necessarily that on some levels, but I understand you're thinking of the Asian human. They're always going to go to their own base desires at the end of I've always made the argument with that. With this time, it's like, I don't even, I don't even think it's like, it's really the nature of risk conversion. Because we, we've talked about this throughout the totality when we've done other podcasts, is that the tendency of us human beings are where, uh, again, there, there's always going to be a certain amount of risk in the world because there are always people who have to go out there and do the jobs that keep the, the, the globe spinning on a daily basis, and I, and I get that. And uh, I feel awful for all of the businesses that have been uh, impacted uh, by this thing. So it's a matter of you know, our, our bandwidth for being able to operate safely and responsibly, I, I feel like would be much greater if people could be trusted to be safe and responsible, and humanity is showing us countless examples of that to the contrary. Yeah. 
to each his own kind of perspective on this. I'm personally a lot less reticent about uh, judging people for uh, what I consider to be irresponsibility in a pandemic. But as you say, the American culture does breed this a lot. So too does federalism, because we have 50 states. Other countries have a hard time understanding the nature of the scattered response. And I mean, one thing we also have to know too, Rick, is if we're really honestly up and honest, if we're even bringing we're bringing in Canada into the poll. Remember, Canada is roughly the population of America. Yes. So it is going to be a little bit easier to get more on board than the same. Now, we could have, and again, I know this too, is whether you're Republican or Democrat, I, I'm not really sure if the virus response would have been that much different because there were, there's so many different things, so many different small things that would have been different depending on who was in office. It's just, it shows sort of the frailty of our governmental systems and how they were able to handle this and how health officials were able to handle this time on the two. It does. You're right about that. And as a matter of fact, uh, that right and there... To the two, Rick, just to, just to interrupt with you, I don't, I don't think there's any perfect plan at the end of the way. It's just, to be honest, so far, we keep just making, at least in the American perception, we keep making bad mistakes at this timeline. But again, to be fair, we pump it up areas that it's doing right now, and then all of a sudden, it could fight there again. So we don't really know. There's no broad answers, I like to say, at the end of the day. Sure. And in terms of that, in terms of federalism and the scattered response, that's probably a good segue to uh, what I wanted to bring the discussion around to, which is sports that are outside the bubble at this point in time. MLB, college football, NFL, the ones coming to mind most immediately. Team sports outside the bubble anyways. And where I have preached from day one on this show, and again, there are a lot of things where I don't want to be right, but I said early on, any sport that is not considering doing this in some form of a bubble, it is hubris. And to, to think that, again, we're going to have people going out in their communities and just, even if you're testing them every day when they come to work, it's a matter where you're already getting positives all over the place. MLB is getting positives. Uh, I just got word right before we started taping Freddie Freeman, one of my favorite players, a uh, an anchor of one of my championship teams a couple of years ago, just tested positive for the Atlanta Braves, unfortunately. Mike Trout is considering not playing this year because his wife is pregnant. So that obviously distorts uh, the sport of baseball when you have your biggest star sitting out for a season. You just have all these different issues, and particularly if it's the sports that are outside the bubble, this is more so where I'm thinking everything that happens there reminds me of where we were in mid-March. The rationalization, well, maybe if we just keep fans out of the games, maybe if we just do this, maybe if we just do that, until we saw that playing games in March at a certain point wasn't feasible anymore. And I think the sports that are outside the bubble, they're going to reach that Rudy Gobert moment sooner rather than later. I just hope that somebody doesn't die before they get to that point. Right, and at least judging from at least the timeline, Rick, a lot of the at-risk individuals who would that even in the early days of coronavirus, some of the cases 65 years or older and people who have chronic conditions that could exacerbate the virus if they receive it or catch it or however it, may, it gets transmitted to them. Most of the athletes, I would think, would be okay. There are, you have to be concerned with athletes who have asthma. You also have to be concerned with older managers or coaches who might not 
Sure. And it's going to be very interesting to see how everything works. I, I don't want to bemoan and say that HB Baseball is making a bad decision by doing this because they're kind of really stuck in a no-win scenario because baseball is one of very few sports that the playing field is interdimensionally different for many different ballparks. And you could try and hyper, you know, put together a bubble in Arizona or in these other regions, but I also kind of understand what baseball is doing here because trying to regionalize everybody and hope that that might be the best way of preventing the you know, spread of the virus. I don't know if the regionalization of things will work. It'll be interesting to see because if Major League Baseball pulls it off, then it's positive news for, let's say, the NBA or the NFL or college football that they'll be able to at least put down the virus. But especially within college athletics, I find it very interesting because a percentage of their elite, well, I saw it yesterday, I believe the USC is not going to have right about that, Ben Chu, because, again, the optics alone would prevent it from happening, because we're at a fraught time the last couple of years as far as where the college athletes have, they have won in court a couple of cases here uh, regarding to the fact that they are basically free labor outside of their room and board, so the optics of sending them out to play in the midst of a pandemic when they say, uh, it's not safe enough for the rest of our campus to get here, but, uh, you all go kill yourselves on Saturdays for free. I don't see that happening. It's probably not a coincidence that I saw a quote today from Lincoln Riley already musing about doing this in the winter slash spring. And I think that's going to be the fallback there. It could well be the fallback for the NFL. There's no fallback for baseball because self-defeatingly, as per always, the owners and the players pissed away all the margin of error that they had time-wise to be able to do this. Right now, it's play outside the bubble as configured or nothing. And the fact that Rob Manfred said the other day, sports commissioners famously do not argue against their own interests. Famously. They will put a good face on everything. Roger Goodell will tell you until he's blue in the face that the NFL is going to go on business as usual this year, even though we all know that's a big fat lie. But here's the thing. Rob Manfred admitted the other day, we'll be lucky to get through 60 games. When is a commissioner in the history of sports ever admitted that the season they're preparing for could well be a waste of time. Yet one more unprecedented marker on this road we're on, Ben Chu. Right, and I think the thing that you do with baseball is that they, they were in a kind of a no-win situation because all these other sports, like we've noted, had either completely halted play or were in season and play was halted. The NFL was already done. Baseball hadn't even started their season yet, and they were kind of really screwed in that narrative because if they essentially lost the entire season, I think the apathy for Major League Baseball is already there in the community of the United States. It's getting outside of World 
them in a way, they're going to get a season off the ground. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with them. But I think in the timeline, too, the one thing I think a lot of people kind of realize, and even I realize this too, with being, even though being an Uber sports fan, is that you technically really don't need sports in this timeline because you have other interests. You have, you know, we live in arguably the highest level of content creation in, in any given timeline of the world with the internet, with YouTube, with Netflix, with Disney Plus, with Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, just so many content areas that you can watch on a daily basis that we've never had before. I, I shudder to think what we would have done in 1994 during a global pandemic during at the end of the day. We've not had growth dollars in that period of time, but I, I think we've existed in a world without sports to where if the league does not perform their season, that might do indelible damage that will not kill the league entirely, but could push the league downward um, across everything. Well, One thing that I, mean, I would even, I would be honest to, and I've discussed this, that a lot of leagues, this is all very trial period for the ball. For the NBA, the bubble is, even if the bubble does not work, they're going to have to find a way to make the bubble work at some point, because they might, the next season is projected to be December and January. I mean, it's going to be the same thing to hockey, same thing to with the MLS, that they're, they might be able to play in their home stadiums, but they don't know for sure at this timeline, because we still do not know when a vaccine or a drug cocktail, as you've mentioned in the past, will be ready. That's right. And so un until all of this gets ironed out, these are going to be questions. And this is a thing where, you know, a a again, a couple of weeks back, you know, I knew that it, particularly some of the segments that we were recording in the early part of June, when it was primarily the protests slash riots that were in the news and coronavirus had faded a bit into the background, and I thought to myself, we're still doing these, you know, segments here in this series. People might start to wonder why, uh, but I knew in my head, we're not done with this thing. We're not past this thing, and we're not going to be past this thing anytime soon. From the, the mid-June spikes onward have shown we are not going to have this behind us for any period of time, so... Yeah, much like how you and I have said on air and off air previously, we're living out an experiment in real time here with what's going on with these, you know, with everything in society. So too are sports with the bubble. Bubble 1.0 may or may not work this summer. But as you point out, bubble 2.0 might be necessary for the next seasons. Right, and across multiple sports. And I, I think this is, and I, I always tell people, especially really just with general with sports right now, we really need to go into forward expectations. Because there is a scenario where that if we don't get these sort of scenarios even together, like there, there's legitimate, and I don't remember if this is the case, but there was discussions at some point that Disney was not really happy with the wide world of sports. They were thinking about maybe rebranding it and doing something different with the space. At this rate, it's essentially housing two professional sports leagues 
goes to what you and I had talked about off here, which is that, uh, ironically, a more lethal disease would have probably killed less people, because people would be scared to death of it. Uh, I mean, I was a lot more scared of Ebola than I ever was of this thing, because uh, I pretty much had the sense if I got Ebola, I might be dead. And that's the thing. Now, I took Ebola seriously and this seriously. Uh, a lot of people have not at least in this instance, is when it's really been put to the test this time around. This has put us to the test like nothing has in a hundred years since the Spanish flu. But, uh, you know, this is this is where we're at right now. All these complex different angles to it. Uh, sports is about 25 different subplots, you know, in and of itself of the whole coronavirus thing here. But I knew I wanted to explore this here with you today, uh, Ben. And, uh, again, greatly appreciate your thoughts on this and your perspective about it. At least, you know, there will be sports in 2020. The real question is, will we crown champions? Is the, is the ultimate, is the ultimate, the penultimate question at this point? Well, also in the fantasy sense as well. There's a lot of emails going around my baseball leagues right now about what's going to happen. So. Rick, no one cares about your baseball league. There's too many bigger things going on in the world. Well... I, I would like to remember 2020 as a year that I got some fantasy trophies as well. We, we've already been through a lot this year. <laughs> that would be that would be a nice thing to weather the storm. But in the meantime, uh, all we can do is keep breaking it down here on the show. Thank you for being a part of this, uh, Ben, and thank you, everybody, for checking out FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1249.